Hey, thanks so much for tuning in and watching. And in this next 45 minutes or so, I'm going to be sharing a message called Male by Birth, Man of God by Choice. And I brought this to our men at what we call our XL Conference, where men from all over the globe come together for 48 hours of just great impartation and teaching and music and just time together. And at that, at that meeting, I felt God really met us. God really helped men to make the right choice. So whether you have a man in your world or a young man in your world or there's someone around you that needs to understand how to be a man of God, I encourage you to watch this message today and I pray that it helps you. You can be male by birth and you cannot be a man of God. Are you male by birth or are you a man of God by choice? You can be male because your mom birthed you, but you can only be a man of God when you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And from that moment on, the instant you receive Jesus, the Bible says it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Once you pray that prayer and make that decision, you choose to follow Jesus. But your one choice to follow Jesus cannot stay a prayer one night. It needs to constantly be a decision that you make every moment for the rest of your life. A choice after a choice after a choice. And the minute you stop choosing to be a man of God, you start being male, but you stop being a man of God. I'm saying you're under the grace of God, but if you do not have this capacity to say to God, God, you're the Lord of my life. Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. If you don't have that capacity in your life, God can't use you in the way that he wants to use you. He will allow you to operate, but there will always be a dynamic in your life where you're reliant on your own strength. And when Jesus is the Lord of your life, your problems become Jesus's problems. Your challenges become Jesus's challenges. And men, we have proved that by taking responsibility for the Philippines, by choosing to stand up and rescue 115 children in compassion, we have exercised the power of choice and become men of God to those people that needed us to be men of God. The truth is, literally, there are nations waiting for you to choose to be a man of God. Tomorrow you'll be back in your local churches and you need to continue to choose to be a man of God. And in the time that I have, I want to do some teaching. And I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And for as long as I've been a Christian, 1 and 2 Timothy have spoken volumes to me. I've read them again and again and again and again. And there's this phrase that Paul wrote to Timothy about. And in my Bible, there's a headline that says, Paul's charge to Timothy. I want to give you a charge tonight, a command tonight, some understanding from the Word of God. And it says this, verse 11, But you, man of God, turn to the person next to you and say, You, man of God. Man of God. 
And then it goes on to list nine characteristics that are the making of a man of God. I'm going to give you nine steps to turn your life into a man of God tonight. Is that cool? I said, is that cool? I do much better when, when it's noisy in church. Before I get started, okay, when I sit down, my dad is a restaurant and, and back in the day, and, and I'd sit down to eat at the dinner table, and if you didn't make noise when you ate your food, dad didn't serve the food. Because he'd spent all day making some of the most amazing steaks and, and bread and all kinds of stuff. And at my table, if you don't say the food is good when you're eating it, then dad would literally pull the steak off the table and you would not be able to take another bite. So what I need is for you to understand that when you start to say amen, amen means so be it. When you start to get some feedback going on, it means you're owning the word of God for you. Maybe this is new, but this is how we're going to flow from now on in Excel. There we go, I said it. We want to get some response going on. And l- lest you understand this, okay, lest you understand this, some of you think, well, Steve's an American. Well, you know what? Here's the truth. I, I, I'm an American by birth, but I'm British by choice. In fact, I could even go a step further to deal with some of your stereotypes. I'm an American by birth, but I'm a Bradfordian by choice. Now, that's a whole nother level. When you did choose to live in Bradford, and as long as I've been here, people say to me, what, what, what? You're, you're, you're in Bradford? You, you, why, why are you in Bradford? I'll tell you why I'm in Bradford, because I'm a man of God. That's why I'm in Bradford. Because where there's a need, what does God do? He raises somebody up. Okay, and I'm just daft enough to believe that we can sort out some of the problems in Bradford when we get the men of God working together. Come on, Carl. You know what I'm talking about. Come on now, me and you, we, we, go, we go play football together on Saturday. And we get those guys, me and Carl, in a cafeteria and we tell them about Jesus Christ every Saturday morning. Why? Because we believe that we can take Bradford. We believe it. Now, I, I can't do this by birth, but I can sure do it by choice. Some of you need to decide, you know, well, I, in, in my local church, you know, I, I'm just kind of like in the background. Well, the problem is you're attending your church by birth, but you've not chosen to be a vibrant force in your church. Some of you, you look at our leadership team tonight and you think, oh my gosh, how do you get a leadership team like that? I'll tell you how you get a team like that. You don't get it by being on a platform together. You get it by playing table tennis until two in the morning at your house. You get it by eating together. You get it by hanging out together and believing in each other. And if we can build this in Bradford, come on, you can build this in wherever you're at. You can build it wherever you are. You can. Now let's go back to this nine steps. Step number one in making yourself a man of God. And this is so clear. It says, but you, man of God, flee. Step number one, you've got to know what to flee from. You've got to know when to run. You've got to know when to leave certain situations, when to walk out the door. And I don't just mean the sexual stuff. Some of you need to flee from negativity and wrong conversations because they're killing you and they're killing your church and it's gossip and it's destroying you. And you're focused on lack and negativity and you cannot... 
You cannot contain the presence of God while you're entertaining doubt. Whatever is not of faith is sin, the Bible says. You have to flee from unbelief. Mental assent. Oh, this church does not depend on what I think. It depends on the spirit of God and what, it, what the word of God says over this church. And so I've learned how to change my confession over the years. Why not, Bradford? We're going to be debt-free as a church. Did you know that? And so I've had to flee from some of that wrong teaching that says you're always going to be poor in Bradford. BD3OEQ is the poorest postcode in all of England. Doesn't look poor here, does it, today? Does it look broken here? No, because God is a good God. And when we bring the people in our community that are broken, they want to be in a safe environment. They need to be in a clean environment. They need to be in an environment where they can sit down in our Starbucks and have a coffee because they've never been to church before. And they're frightened about stepping through the doors. So we've got to create an environment where we flee from all negativity. Everything that holds us back, that's the first step in becoming a man of God. Second step is this. You can't just run away from God. You've got to go on and do this. It says pursue righteousness. You have to run to God. See, so many men, when they're in trouble, they go into their bunkers. They, they go into their, into their walled castle. They, they don't return text messages. They, they, they withdraw from society. And I want to let you know, pursuing God takes that fear factor away. Where you pursue God. You know, and I heard a story years ago, and I can't even remember which preacher said it, but somebody said, you know, when you're, when you're trying to get to the edge and live your life on the edge, it's like sleeping in bed, and, and you're sleeping on the edge. Well, when you're sleeping on the edge, it's easier for you to fall off. But, but when you're focused on pursuing Jesus, everything changes. When you pursue Jesus, pursue righteousness, then your whole life changes and your relationships align They just realign instantly because you're pursuing righteousness. You bring a new standard into every friendship that you have, into every conversation you have. You're pursuing something. So you're not allowing yourself to be blown to and fro anymore because you're taking the people in that conversation forward. And I can't tell you how many times as a church, how many times I've been in conversations, you know, behind the scenes, early on in my ministry, where I had to pursue righteousness Paul talked a little bit about crossing over. Well, I was the guy, and my job was to go out into the parking lot and stop the people from smoking cigarettes and get them back into the meeting. That was my job. And while I was there, I was telling the guys that were out in the parking lot, I said, I don't want to go in church. I don't want to step foot in church. I don't like the church. I don't want to be there. Now, I could have been part of the negative brigade, but I chose that I was going to pursue righteousness. And I learned that one man standing in a cloud of smoke, surrounded by sinners, one man pursuing righteousness creates a force. And again and again and again, I watched men who did not want to set foot in church come into the four walls of life church and commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Again and again and again. Pursue righteousness. See, this is not my platform. Some of you think, well, if I had a platform like this, well, you have a platform. Every man of God has a platform. Jesus said that you're the light of the world. Whenever you start to pursue righteousness, God starts to raise you up and give you positions of influence and affluence. And so you need to learn how to steward your influence and steward your affluence. And what God does, God promotes you. If you pursue righteousness, God will promote you. That's step number two. Is this helping anybody tonight? Step number three, godliness. Step number three, so clear. Here's godliness to me. This is what godliness to me. You are never more like God than when you're a father. 
To me, be a father. Godliness is like being a father. Being a father is, is just is what this world needs. We took a survey amongst our young people that come to church. This is about five years ago, so I know it's probably worse now. But five years ago, over 50% of our young people that attended the church had no father in their life. If you go to some of the prisons now in England, and you go around and, and you start to talk about some of the situations that people, that people face, statisticians tell us the number one cause that causes people to do horrible things that they have no relationship with their father or they have no father figure in their life. And we deal with it pastorally in the church all the time because of abuse or because of a difficult situation and people think God is like their natural father. God is not like a natural father. I have mistakes, I have weaknesses, but our heavenly father is perfect. He never changes. He never fails not. His nature is always good. His nature is always accepting. And so our godliness, fathering nature needs to be including. And, and you know, when I leave, I, I, I want to meet you as men. I want to shake your hand. I want to high five you. Why? Because that's what God's like. I don't need to hide in a back room. Preachers, we don't need to hide in a back room. We need to engage people. Why? Because it's all about people. Maybe you didn't realize this, but pastors, we're in the people business. Hello. And I learned many, many years ago, many years ago, how people can energize you and how people can drain you. And you need to learn that discipline. People can energize you when you pursue righteousness and you pursue godliness. You can connect with people and you can get relationship and you can get brothering and you can get sharpening iron sharpens iron. And there are tremendous gains when you start to deal with this. And there are times when you're going to have to bring rule. There are times when you're going to have to cut conversations down. But godliness means fathering people. It means believing in people. It means loving people. It means raising up the next generation. It means confessing and declaring to broken people they can do great things. Fourth thing is this, faith. Faith is vital. Faith is so, so vitally important. You know, there was a time in my life when there was so much negativity in the environment that I was raised in, so many heartbreaks that w- when I became a Christian, one of the things I had to deal with was right before I became a Christian, I was pulled over by the police eight times every weekend. Now, when you're pulled over eight consecutive weekends, you know what happens? Years later, if I saw blue lights in my rearview mirror, I just automatically pull over and stop and wait to be arrested. Because I didn't have faith operating in my life in the way it should have been. You see, faith expects good things to happen to you. Faith causes good things to happen to you. And gradually over time, I dealt with some of those mistakes. Now, I like nothing better than to talk to a police officer about Jesus Christ. I love it. And this week, I've had opportunity to do that again with some of the things that we're involved in and rescuing and helping people. And again and again, the police officer said to me, how do you do what you do? I said, well, you see the worst of society. You, you see people at its worst. So, so we're going to pray for the police. We want to help encourage you. We want to stand beside you. But I said, one of my gifts is I don't see the worst of people. I see the best of people. Faith sees the best in people around you. And it says to that person, hey, you have an incredibly special gift. And you dial up the gift. And you focus on that. You know, to be honest, we probably, most of us, we only have three or four probably primary talents. 
So if you can dial up on those three or four primary talents and say to the people around you, hey, I see greatness in you. I see that you have a capacity to do great things. That's bringing faith into the center of your relationships. Uh, and I know some of us, you, you think faith is all about money, but it's not. You know, you can have faith for people. You can have faith for things. You can have faith for all kinds of different circumstances. You can have faith for healing. We prayed for people tonight. All of those areas are aspects of faith. And we don't have time to go into it now, but do a study on faith and bottom that out. Because if you want to become a man of God, I'll tell you now, the time is coming in Europe where we're going to need great faith to win our nations to Christ. Europe needs great faith. Denmark needs great faith. Holland needs great faith. Germany, France, Spain, we need great faith. Because people say things like, oh, there's hardly any Christians. Well, I just think, praise God, that means no unemployment for Christians. We've got lots of, lots of people, we got lots of people to reach for Jesus. What a great job we're in. When everybody gets saved, the job is done. We're going to heaven, right? So we're going to be unemployed then. So let's enjoy being employed. Faith is my reason for walking around Bradford. And I see Bradford and I see some of the beautiful things that Bradford is. Not yet. I walk around and I see a dirty great big hole in the city of Bradford and I think, wow. One day, Lord, this is going to be a beautiful shopping center. One day, this is going to have great restaurants. One day, this is going to be amazing. I actually come to our Life Church campus, and, and I'll drive around or I'll walk around if it's not raining, and I'll say, God, you're going you're gonna to bless our land. You're going you're gonna to do great things. People are going to get saved in this building. People are going to come to Christ in this building. People are going to be healed in this building. We're going to be debt-free in this building. And I've learned to just... Walk and pray and talk to God that way. And every time I've done it, God starts to move. God starts to move. Like we've been teaching you. First, you have to declare it. You are the move of God. And then God kicks in. But faith calls things that are not as if they were. So you've got to start believing by faith, and then everything else kicks in. So that was step number four in becoming a man of God. I'm going to go faster now. Number five. Step number five is love. Love your enemies as Christ loved the church. Wow, isn't that a great scripture? Write that one on your refrigerator. Have you got any enemies? Love them. Pray for them. Release them. Hey, we do life in Belfast. We've got some Belfast men. Oh, there's been a lot of heartache in that city. Love your enemies. Protestant versus Catholic, love your enemies. Muslim versus Christian, love your enemies. When you have true love... True love, it just turns people around. And in the schools in Bradford here now, I came in with my American accent when I first started our ministry here. And on any given day, I could have started a riot. As soon as they hear my American accent, they totally assume then that I'm going to be against them. And I've learned by love. When you love people who are against you, when you honestly, authentically bring that love, you don't have to hug them. You don't have to be wimpy about it. But we need some Man love. It's a man love. We do. You know, I watched, I watched our young people. When you go around them and you father them and you speak truth into them, I watched kids who have their, their teenagers who have their eyes down and a hoodie across their head, take their hoodie off, look you in the eye and smile. Love does that. We've got a whole generation that we need to do that to. And they're covering up and they're embarrassed and they're running from God. Well, when you bring the love of Father, it turns things and people around. Step number six, endurance. Endurance. Listen, we're going to have to have stamina, capacity. That means we've got to get in shape. 
That means we got to stop eating the fish and chips five times a week. Hello, somebody. One of the things we're doing now is insanity. It's a workout. Some of us are getting disciplined about our weight and our strength. Why? Because we have to run a race of endurance. It's not about having muscles. It's about endurance. It's about lasting the test. We're in a marathon, not a 50-yard dash. So we have to sleep right, eat right, look after ourselves. And when you start to have endurance, I'll tell you what happens. When you start to have endurance, men, you get some capacity going on. You get some strength going on. This is what happens. Everything gets better. Everything gets better. Your relationship with your wife gets better. And when that gets better, the sex gets a whole lot better. Somebody say, praise God. Yeah. Endurance does that. I learned a long time ago, if you want to make love to a woman at night, it starts with breakfast in the morning. Endurance does that. Endurance means that, that you start believing and you start loving your, lo- your wife, not just with your words, but with your diaries. Oh, let's go there. Some of you are like, yeah, I love my wife, I love my wife, I love my wife. Well, you're never with your flipping wife. You don't go anywhere with her, you don't spend time with her, you don't enjoy being with her. And so you just kind of separate your life out. Listen, endurance means you've got to have peace in your home. Your home has to be in order, and, and, and everything that you do will be affected if your primary relationships are not strong. But if you bring primary time and investment into your relationships, you'll find you'll have more strength, you'll have more endurance, and you'll be able to do more. Next step, step number seven, gentleness. Gentleness is interesting. I didn't say, I didn't say being feminine. Some of you think being gentle is being feminine. No, it's not. You can be strong and be very gentle. Many of you know very, I, I know guys that are rugby players, that are athletes, and they're, some of the, they're gentle giants, they call them. Gentle giants. I had a friend of mine, he was an Australian rugby league player, and he was over here playing Leeds, uh, playing England in a rugby cup, and, and, and he was in Leeds playing this, this three test matches, and he was over. And uh, he's called Jason Stevens, and he was dancing. Jason is not a very good dancer. He's about six foot five. He weighs about 250 pounds. He's a prop forward. I mean, he's this mean, scary-looking dude. And he's even scarier when he starts dancing for Jesus and praising because he doesn't hold anything back. But he's a gentle giant. I got to know Jason and started to have a friendship with him. And, and, And I realized that that some people looked at his size and thought, well, I'm kind of freaked out by that. And I, and I remember one particular night, and he was jumping up and down in worship, and, and the host team came in and said, Steve, there's this crazy guy, and he's, he's like jumping, and everybody around him is scared to death. And I'm like, I'm like, well, let me take it. And I went over, and sure enough, he was like, it was like watching Goliath jump. He would jump and doof, doof, doof. And people around him were like making space, and they weren't. He was just dancing with all of his strength, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. And then as I got to know Jason, I found out that his sister was, had a horrible disease, that his sister was confined to a wheelchair. And all of his life, he'd looked after and loved his sister, looked after her, took her everywhere, just loved and developed this incredible compassion. 
because of his sister that had this debilitating illness. And as I got to know him, I thought, oh, he's a man of God, but he has this incredible gentleness inside of him. We've got to be gentle as men of God. We're so gentle. God forbid that we would ever, ever any of us raise a hand to a woman. God forbid. That's wrong. That's not being a man of God. I've got to talk about this and then move on to the next point because the next point is this. Step number eight, fight the good fight of faith. Many of us just want to fight. We just want to fight. Have you ever been driving and a white van man cuts you off? And you're at a light and all of a sudden, do you want to fight somebody, Tim Hag? Do you know what I'm talking about, Tim? And you feel like, man, I'm just going to revert for a moment to my BC days. My days before I knew Jesus Christ. And you go back to those days when you think, well, if just for a moment, I'm going to go, I'm going to punch this guy who's causing chaos. And you find this anger in men that's right below the surface. Right below the surface, like bubbling, it's like simmering it. And I watched men again and again and again lose their temper at a checkout counter, in the McDonald's queue, at a bank queue, on the street corners, right below the surface. And when I see that, every time I see that, I think to myself, they're fighting the wrong fight. That's the wrong fight. You don't have to fight that person behind the counter. They're just doing their job. They may not be the best at it. They may not be trained at it. But, but we have to learn the fight that we fight is the fight of holding our faith. It's the fight of growing the church, reaching people. That's the fight that we need to fight. Not fighting against each other, but fighting the devil and fighting for the kingdom of God to be advanced. That's a whole other fight. Fight the good fight. And finally, step number nine, take hold of the eternal life. See, once you're saved, once you know Jesus Christ, you have to hold on to your salvation. I don't mean it's going to slip through your fingers. I don't mean you're going to lose it. What I mean is you have to have an appreciation for the eternal life that is inside you now. You have to take hold of it. And you can't neglect it. And you have to stay planted in the house of God. You have to stay growing your faith. You have to stay in a place of relationship where you get stronger year upon year upon year. Taking hold of the eternal life that's in you. If you backslide as a man of God and you stop being excited about the things of God, who else will God use? God's placed you in your neighborhood and in your relationships for a reason. So you've got to hold on to these nine steps. Nine steps in becoming a man of God. Now, there's a great warrior in the Old Testament. And he was a, he's a great example of a man who was male by birth, but was not a man of God by choice. And it was Samson. I want to talk about Samson. Samson, who in Judges 13 was the prophetic realization of a promise when his mother couldn't get pregnant and then Samson came out and, and he had been dedicated to God. He had this Nazarite vow, he promised to do certain things and one of them, of course, was his source of strength was his hair and he decided that he would never cut his hair and his hair grew and he had this incredible masculinity. He had a masculinity of strength. But was he a man of God? Was he? I don't think he was. He was divorced twice. He made tragic mistakes in his life. 
And when I've studied Samson, I've realized Samson's name means sunshine. That's his name. But after he lost his first marriage and his first relationship, he fell in love with a woman, a Philistine woman, a woman from the enemy camp called Delilah. Delilah's name means to be emptied. And, and, and Samson, who was supposed to be the light for Israel, who was chosen as a judge to become a man of God, to help a nation stay strong and stay true and work on these nine keys that I just brought. Instead of that, he had a wrong relationship that drained the very life out of his soul. And it drained him to the point where he was absolutely devastated. You can read about it in Judges 13 and in Judges chapter 16. In Judges chapter 16, what happened was Delilah nagged him, it says, day after day after day after day. Men, if you're not yet married, raise your hand. Let me give you some marital advice. Do not marry a nagging woman. Don't do it. Don't marry them. Date somebody else. Go another direction. Flee from that woman. The rest of us, if you married a nagging woman, that's just tough. That was your choice. You're stuck with it. That's it. You better deal with it. Better love that woman. You better treat her right. I've seen some of the women, uh, and we've counseled and we've helped people who, who, they're nagging because they're a little bit like, well, my my husband never spends time with me. He's not there for me. And there's a reason behind the nag. And I've learned if you can deal with the reason behind the, the, the root, behind the issue, peace and harmony come in a beautiful way. In a beautiful way. And I've seen people say, I, we have no hope for our marriage. There's no hope for us. But when they get down to the covenant, to the sacrificial, Jesus died for me and so I'm going to love you and I choose you again. I choose you again. I choose you again. I choose you again there's fresh hope. And with Samson, the minute he told Delilah the source of his strength, you know the story, the Philistines rushed in and they gouged out his eyes. Sin always robs you of your vision. Sin always takes your vision. It's the first thing that goes, your hope. Your hope for your own life, it's gone. It's dehydrated. It disappears. The great thing is this, there is always grace. When Samson had his eyes gouged out, the Bible saw clear. It says, but his hair began to grow. You couldn't see it. He couldn't see it because he was blind and you can't really see hair follicles when they first start out. But as soon as you walked away, as soon as he walked away, hair began to grow. I feel like right now we should do a prayer ministry for all those who want their hair to grow. All these beautiful bald heads right now, bald men. Samson, his hair grew back and he said, oh God, oh sovereign God. See, the Philistines wanted him to come in and laugh at him, ridicule him. They brought him in to the arena And Samson said, God, one more time, would you let my physical strength return? What a tragedy. 
Samson put both hands on the pillars of this amazing, beautiful, huge outside auditorium and amphitheater, and he used his strength, and thousands upon thousands of people died that day. And in his death, he killed more people than in all of his life, the Bible says. I don't know how many people were there. The Bible doesn't say, but it must have been a lot of people because Samson killed a thousand people with a jawbone and he killed a lot of people in his day. And I read that story and I think about revenge. Samson wanted revenge. He wanted to kill the Philistines. Listen, that's an Old Testament model. In the New Testament, we don't have the right for revenge. We don't have the right to physically kill somebody. Jesus said, love your enemies. I've just read those scriptures. First Timothy chapter six, flee from all these things. But you man of God, you must forgive. You must let go of revenge. You must let go of bitterness. You must let go of past hurts. You must let go of those heartaches. Why? Because you need to be all there. You need to be a man of God. Samson, he was like, all oh, this heartache and bitterness. And I, and, I, and I read his life and I just get so sad. I get depressed when I think, what a waste. What strength, what potential. What if he would have just repented? What if he would have just, I forget, I, I'm, I'm going to make the best of my life. What if at some point he could have finished strong? Some of you, I've been praying about you. Do not take revenge. Don't do it. You might have been wronged by somebody. Somebody might have mistreated you. But there is no waste of years when you serve Jesus Christ. Jesus has a way. He has a way of repaying the years that the locusts have eaten, the Old Testament says. And he returns to you everything that you've been seeking. Only God can do that. When you give up your right, when you give up your hatred, when you give up your bitterness, when you give up your prejudice, suddenly you become a man of God. If you're a Catholic, if you're a Protestant, if you're an Anglican, if you're a charismatic, let's stop fighting each other. We have to become what the Bible teaches. We are a reflection of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to not just be male by birth, but to choose moment by moment, thought by thought, attitude by attitude, to be men of God. When you start to operate in that power of choice, you start to get very good at it. You can choose to be a man of God instantaneously. Oh, you might make a mistake. Oh, you might feel that old weight of sin, that old man the Bible talks about in Romans. But the minute you decide, no, I'm, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to flee. I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to love. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to take hold of eternal life. The minute you start operating, what happens is, you watch it, you'll start to get happier. You won't be miserable anymore. You'll start to have a joy and a strength and a balance in your step. People are going to want to spend time with you. They're going to like to hang out with you. They're going to want to have a curry with you in Bradford after tonight. They're going to want to buy things like buy you a pint. They're going to want to buy you some more non-bread. They're going to start blessing you. Why? Because you're a good person to be around. And I look at the church today and you go tomorrow, you look. You look around your church. You look and ask yourself this question. Are the people in this church happy? 
Are they fulfilled? Are they enjoying their relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, my Bible says that eternal life should be something we take hold of. Are you glad that you have eternal life? Well, then, it's, well, then show it with your face. And I've worked with men for a long time. Oh, we get serious. This is not about being an extrovert. This is not about being an introvert. But the Bible is very clear that the face of a man reflects his heart. And when your face is uplifted, when your face is full of hope and joy, suddenly everything starts to change. And, and, and as I bring tonight to a close, as I want to sum up what I'm doing tonight, when you choose to be a man of God and you operate in these principles, God does incredibly miraculous things. On my desk here at Live Church, I have a book. And a friend gave this to me. Some of you may know him. He's called Mick Spratt. Mick Spratt runs Wigwam Acoustics. And, and, and years and years and years ago, when I was early on in my ministry, Mick sat me down. And he gave me this book that I have. And I keep it on my coffee table. And you see, Mick Spratt gave me this in 2006. And it says, Be Inspired, Mick, August 2006. It was Mick Spratt who mortgaged his house so that he could pay for the PA equipment to run a Billy Graham crusade in England many, many years ago. And he gave me this book, and I would look through it, and I would say, wow, maybe, if, maybe one day I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm Steve, and I'm not trying to be Billy, but maybe one day, maybe just one day God would do something beyond any of us. Maybe one day... God would do something incredible in Glasgow like he did years ago in Scotland. And I would look at these stadiums and, and, and my mind would be blown away. Just blown away. Just, just totally changed. And, and the reason I'm telling you that tonight is because I have a little video clip. And, and, and one of the things I'm really big into is honoring and celebrating what God is doing. And when you have teams and friends around you that do well... Men of God, you need to celebrate them. And the song that we did earlier tonight, We Believe, I'm going to read the words because I believe this is a conviction that we need to have. And this is what, I'm going to read it again. I know we sang it, but sometimes it's good just to read it. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again. We believe. Here's the amazing thing about Matt Hooper, who was one of the three songwriters who wrote the song, but really, to be honest, Matt wrote all the other songs. The other guys are just along for the royalty rates, so really, it's Matt who wrote the song. Stop disagreeing with me, because I'm preaching. (laughs) Matt writes the song that has been selected to go onto the Billy Graham new project that is being launched. Billy Graham is 90 five years old. He was supposed to die last year. He he wrote a book called Coming Home. And I know about the book because my wife Charlotte just wrote a book called Turn Around God and, and the publishing company Thomas Nelson told us back then Billy wrote his last book called Coming Home. But they said, but he's not died yet so he's been praying and now he has a new concept. He's 95 years old. Think, what a man of God. What a great person to emulate. So he writes this project called My Hope. He writes a book. 
Suddenly, the different musicians around the world say, well, if Billy Graham's writing a book, we need to write the songs because it's Billy Graham, and let's write some songs that talk about his story. And what I want to play for you, which is so powerful, is what happened when a band called the Newsboys heard the song that Matt wrote. And and I want you to hear it from his own mouth and what he says and what happened when he heard this song. Come on, let's just play the clip. It's about two minutes long. Here we go. Wouldn't you like to have Christ tonight who can forgive the past, give you joy and peace in the present, and change your life for the future? There's been nobody like this man probably ever in the history of mankind. Do you know that your heart is right? He's a household name around the world. Everyone knows who Billy Graham is. There must be a self-emptying. As a kid growing up in D.C., in my house, whenever Graham was on TV, before like a crusade, everything stopped. You see, God looks down deep inside of you. I felt like... Wow, there's this really big God standing behind this very humble guy. I mean, it was almost like there was a hundred foot angels standing all behind him. There must be a repenting of sin. There must be receiving Christ who died on the cross for our sins. To me, it feels like the closest thing to what it maybe would have been like to actually be in the presence of Jesus when he was speaking to a crowd. It's pretty amazing. And I'm not sure there's going to be another Billy. When we first heard the song, We Believe, um, I, I really broke down because it, it, um, sorry, it's an anthem. It's, a, it's an anthem of our faith and what we, what we really stand for. It really just states very simply what we believe and that's what I love about Billy and what I love about this song. Billy's delivery system was very simple. There was no fat. There was no gloss. It was 15 to 20 minutes. It was just, here it is. Here are the facts. This is who you are. This is who you can be through Christ. We believe in the crucifixion. You put your hand over your heart. It's the center of your emotions. One of the first times I met Billy, we were finishing off a crusade, and uh, he walks up on stage and grabs me, and I kiss him on the cheek. And Billy's like a big dad, a dad to the world, you know? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of our hearts are the same way. It's a treasury of evil, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, I played that clip not to embarrass Matt, because if I get him out here now, he'll be a wreck and he won't be able to sing. But I played that because you need to know, when you're a man of God... He moves on your behalf. When you're a man of God, you live in Bradford. This makes no sense. Matt, you're a great songwriter, but you ain't that good to get on this project. I I have no idea how this happened other than to say from Bradford, from Bradford, can anything good come out of Bradford? Can God do anything out of Bradford? And now suddenly, what in the world is happening from Bradford? When Meek sat me down in my office, I had no idea one of our worship pastors would do this, but here's the problem some of you have. You don't have enough grace for your worship pastors to write songs that go around the world. You don't have enough grace for people to preach better than you. You don't have enough grace for people to stand up and do things stronger than you. And we have to be men of God to get past your ego and insecurity and pride and glorify what God is doing amongst our church. And so tonight, we honor Matt Hooper. 
Good job, Matt. So proud of you, mate. Fantastic. Matt. But here's the truth about Matt. Matt and Jock are best friends, and these men sharpen each other, have done life together, have encouraged each other because they've been men of God together. It's not about the song going on the project, it's not about that. It's just about men of God doing what we know to do and reaching the world for our nation. Proud of you, Matt. So good. Maybe you've got another Matt Hooper right now. And you go home and sit with him and say, you know what? I see greatness in you. We believe in you. What a great word for the church. Who are you believing in? Who are you believing in, men? Are you believing in your young people? Are you believing in your wife? Are you believing in your church? Because let's dial up believing to a whole nother level. Hey, thanks so much for staying with us and watching that. And I hope you're challenged now to make better choices and you're more equipped now to outwork God's commission for your life. And hey, let me just mention our Excel conference is coming up in November in 2014. The details are on our website. We've got Matthew Barnett coming from the Dream Center. Tim Hughes is going to be with us leading worship and so much more that's going to happen over that 48 hours. Until then now, go on and have a great week and we hope to hear from you very soon.